Okay, welcome to High Signal. This is a group for founders who meet twice a week and we help each other out. We talk about startups and we unwind from the stresses of running our own businesses. We're joined today with Tom Evans. He's the Chief Operating Officer at Email Octopus, a company that in October was making 1.3 million in annual revenue. And basically, we sat down and all the members of HighSignal were able to ask Tom loads of questions about competing in a busy space and growing a SaaS and loads more. I hope you enjoy it. So thanks a lot for joining us, Tom. Yeah, no worries. What are your thoughts on competing on price as an indie hacker? Yeah, so I think when you start a SaaS business as a as a founder, as a developer, whether it's just one or two of you, your resources aren't as great as a venture-backed business. So you can't build as complex a product. Um, so essentially, there are a handful of things that I think um, you can sensibly compete on. Um, one of which is simplicity. So a lot of companies, indeed companies, uh, compete on simplicity, um, kind of unbundling products. Um, another option is privacy, um, storing data and coming up with analytics um, is actually quite a complex problem. So by stripping that away, you can not only sell on privacy, but you have a much, much kind of easier product to build. Um, and the final one is price, I think. So I think they're the three primary things you can compete on price. I know it's, everyone says don't compete on price, but I kind of always look at businesses, whether it's like Ryanair, um, you know, Ryanair happily in the airline space compete on price. They take away a lot of the frills that you get when you fly BA. Why can't that apply to a, a software business? Uh, I get the argument that businesses are willing to pay a lot for their software, but it's for me it's a it's a reasonable differentiator. I think the the price argument, what a lot of people do is price too cheaply, and that's something that we did when we first started the business. So we kind of pitched ourselves as a tenth of the price of Mailchimp. Now, I don't think you need to price that um, much kind of cheaper than the competitors. Um, and now we've kind of hit a sweet spot. Now we're about about half the price of Mailchimp and about seventy five percent of the price of MailerLite, who probably are the the compet- the main competitor in the simple email marketing um, affordable space. And I think that's a good sweet spot. Um, it still allows you to grow. Our kind of average customer value is still seventy five dollars a month. So it's not like we have to sell hundreds hundreds of seats. So I would say competing in price is reasonable, but at the same time, when you first compete on price, you'll probably price yourself too low. So always uh, compete on price, but don't go, don't undersell yourself, I suppose. Um, and that's something that we did at the start. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that's cool. That, that makes sense. Um, I guess, yeah, I do sometimes see people charging like ridiculously low amounts, like, you know, $3 a month or something. And it's just like, yeah. 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 You need to, I think we often undervalue our time, don't we? And I, uh, as a developers um, or people starting out of business, you like, you kind of, when you get your first customer, you almost feel indebted to them. Whereas actually you're the one offering the service. It's, it's a bit weird, uh, you know, um, but it, you shouldn't, 
drop your prices completely um, ridiculously low. We did that, as I said, when we first started. Um, our pricing for 250,000 subscribers was um, was $42 a month, right? Which is oh like ridiculously yeah. low. Um, and now that same product um, that we have um, is going to be, I think we now charge about $300 for that same product. That's, uh, right. that's our email up to connect products. So yeah, we've increased our prices kind of sixth per fold and, and we're still growing as a business. So, and, and we don't have to deal with the spammers that we, we did at that, those really, really low price points. So it's kind of hitting the sweet spot of pricing yourself low enough that you can compete and people will actually want to change across to you to save some money, but also not pricing yourself so low that you get really, really low quality customers. But pricing is tricky. Pricing, pricing is really tricky. I think we've changed our pricing. Um, We've been going six six years now since we launched pricing um, at all, and I think we've changed it five, maybe six times in that. That and we're constantly learning, constantly iterating. The only way you can can kind of learn about pricing really is is by giving it a go. And I think it's yeah. always easier to increase prices than it is to drop prices. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Um, I did see that in the early days, much like another kind of. Um, company Veed, you did a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, growth hacking from like, you know, Cora answers. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of, and I guess something I've, I guess something I feel with like indie hacker and business interviews is people quite often are like, hey, this is what we did. This is how we grew. But obviously that tactic seems to like, you know, they've really clamped down on that and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So like, if you were, you know, if you and the other guys at Email Octopus were like launching today and you didn't have that option, what do you think would be like, you know, what would be the number one growth channel that you'd, you'd go for with a tool like Email Octopus? Yeah, so I think when you you haven't got much money to spend, um, you find those free channels and you spend a lot of time searching for them. Uh, you know, we did, for, for every Quora, there was a, a, another thing that didn't kind of, work out uh, i remember we looked at starting a a newsletter probably six years ago called like london startup weekly and we uh managed to get a list of 2000 kind of startup founders in in london and we then sent out this london startup weekly and the first email we sent who happened to be startup of the week it was email octopus um and that sounded like a great idea it didn't work out um cora was one of those things that that did work out and we did manage to exploit it if i was growing a business now um i would spend a lot of time with other founders who are at a similar stage find out what's working for them the cora idea for us that you know that wasn't something that we came up with that came from um one of our friends that uh, was run a business that was probably a year ahead a year ahead of us um a friend called johnny who runs ticket taylor which is a ticketing platform. And that came from that. So to answer your question specifically, because we we now have money and we've built a brand, you know, that kind of brings in customers without having to kind of scrape around with these growth hacks. Um, so I don't really know what channels I would use if I was to start today. One thing I do value a lot and still do to, to this kind of moment is, is the value of contributing to communities and working out how they can help your business. I think when you're in a community like Indie Hackers or also like Facebook groups, 
Um, so for, we, we're particularly popular with authors, self-published authors, because they have a large audience and they want to contact them, but also not spend much money because they're not a business. They're kind of like an individual. I think if I was starting a business today, I would double down on, on community and the value of, of those communities. So I would contribute almost as a self-published author um, for a good month or so in those communities and then slowly begin to pitch your uh, the product, Email Octopus. And then after you've pitched it a few times, you begin to get the community using it. And once you've got 10 people in the community using it, then the product sells itself within the community. As in like next time someone, another self-published author comes in and says, oh, can someone recommend a marketing platform? The other 10 people will pitch in, in that community. So I think that is probably where I'd look it, to, to grow my business if I were starting today. Look for, for niche communities that uh, are used by users of your product. Um, but at the same time, there's probably something out there now that a lot of other startup founders um, who were kind of growth hacking and scraping around trying to spend as, uh, as little as money as possible that they found as well. Um, and that was, that was our Cora back six years ago. I imagine there's an equivalent now. Um, I just don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. No, that's uh, that would be a really smart tactic as well because I guess it's, you know anyone can be a self-published author, so you yep. can be like, hey, I'm Tom. I'm writing a book about I don't know marketing in London or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, but I think like Arvid Kahl from you know who's done a lot of bootstrapping talks about the importance of you know growing like in communities and like you know spending a lot of time there and not not just spamming. So that that would sound yeah. like a good thing to do. Yeah, 100%. And that's kind of what we've tried to do with the Indie Hackers community. I've not been able to spend as much time in the last kind of couple of months as I had done maybe a year or so ago. But that was something we'd, we'd done with the Indie Hackers community. Um, if you look at my post history there, very, very little of my posts have been about specifically email octopus. They've been helping people with their business, helping people with their ideas. And then when the opportunity presents, people might click onto your profile. Who is this person? Who, why are they giving me advice? Um, or also, as I said, the, if the opportunity presents and someone is looking for an email marketing platform, then you can kind of present yourself then. And that's that, I think, is more than acceptable. And I think communities on Reddit and Indie Hackers uh, and Facebook groups, they spot a spammer a mile off. But if you contribute to the community, um, then I think people understand that in return, you know, you might want to pitch a product every now and then. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I think uh, Val, if you can unmute yourself, he Val has a question on um, pricing models. I think. Mm -hmm. Hey, Thomas. Um, first yeah. off, um, love email octopus. Actually, used you guys for my old startup back in the uh, when the SES integration was the main thing you guys yeah. were pitching. Um, so I had a question about pricing with email marketing almost all pricing models now seem to revolve around the number of users you have in your list yeah so basically the pricing scales up with the number of users you have in the list not so much with the number of emails that you yeah. send so i'm wondering like is there is there a reason why um nobody has disrupted that to change it uh, to be priced purely on the number of emails you sent and the context i'm asking that in is that I have a fairly large email list that I've gathered from my product, but it's not so valuable 
basically I'm like not every single user there isn't that valuable that I'd be willing to to pay so much to to host them in in, in a regular list. So mm-hmm. I've kind of forced myself to use Mailjet, which seems to be the only platform that actually pr- uh, prices itself on um, number of emails sent, and it's a really awful platform. Like I would love to use something like Email Octopus, um, yeah. if that was the pricing model. Yeah. So. There are some other businesses, I believe maybe Sangrid as well, or that certainly has some kind of flexibility in that. And uh, MailChimp obviously offer a pay-as-you-go product as well, Um, although it does get quite expensive when you actually send those emails. The reason why we don't do it and uh, is simply our greatest cost um, in terms of servers um, and AWS bill is actually on the storing of data. So we... Our AWS bill um, and email sending bill um, for our kind of core email octopus product is about 30% of our revenue. So quite a significant sum. Um, Sending emails uh, and storing that data is not cheap. And the reason behind that is emails create so much data around them. If you send an email to 5,000 contacts, then you have to store all of the sent um, counts, all of the bounce reasons and process all those bounce reasons store all the opens, every clicks that everyone does. And you have to kind of do that on an ongoing basis because someone might open up an email in kind of six months time and still people want to record that. So our cost, when I said 30% of our AWS bill, of our um, bill, uh, 30% of our costs is an AWS bill. Um, About 25% of that is purely on data storage. So it costs us a lot to store the data. Um, so as such, for us to kind of de-risk ourselves, uh, because there are times, you're quite right, that people um, kind of in, as an industry just don't send emails. Um, so to de-risk ourselves, we kind of charge on that basis. So we cover uh, cover ourselves, essentially. The way that we are trying to kind of, and, and other platforms do this as well, to justify that cost, because you quite rightly say, why am I paying for something if I'm not using it? It's become a platform that offers continuous value, even if you're not actively using it. So that's when you begin to look at uh, features like, um, what's it called? Automation and features like landing pages, features like pop-up forms. And that's why we've moved in that direction. So we can kind of justify that value over a period of time. But right now, it would be really, really scary for us from a kind of cost basis to just purely switch to to an email sending model. And that's why we don't do it. And I imagine that's why a lot of our competitors do it as well. Oh, that makes sense. It's kind of like um, yeah. kind of like a gym, uh, a gym membership, right? The the gym still has to pay to keep the lights on and keep the equipment maintained, irrespective of whether you turn up or not. Um, and obviously, the gym loves it when you don't turn up because there are some slightly lesser costs. You know, they don't have to pay for hot water for their showers. And things like that, but still, the, the the bulk of the cost of that gym is in its real estate and keeping the lights uh, and gym gym equipment working. Um, so it's very much the same for us. Bulk of our cost um, still exists, even if you're not actively sending sending emails. Thanks for that. Awesome. Um, yeah, good question, Val. Um, I think uh, Tom has a question for Tom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom. Hey, yeah. Uh... Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask, um, and it, it's like, it's really very related to what you just said. Uh, like I, I've noticed in the past year or a couple of years, maybe 
more or less all email marketing platforms have added a landing page uh, and automation to their to their features. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wondering, what do you think is the next big feature that all uh, email marketing services are gonna are gonna add to their service? Uh, not asking you to reveal your roadmap, you know, but just in terms of of trend, where do you think this is going? Yeah, so the the big trend has been, or the, the trend that's happening now is a convergence of e-commerce and email marketing. So we have in the last six months, maybe a year, we've seen ConvertKit launch their commerce product, Aweber now on there, um, alongside their landing pages. They have kind of price it, uh, that you can charge, I think, for courses or something along those lines. And then we also see in the... Uh, kind of on the flip side, we see the likes of Shopify and Squarespace moving into the email marketing space. So I think we will see a convergence of, of those two industries. The, the reason why I think people are doing that is um, if someone is actively making money using their email marketing platform, you can kind of justify higher costs and you may even be able to take a cut of it, which uh, if you're taking a cut of people's revenue, it's kind of like a win-win um, for, for both parties. Um, it's as an email marketing platform, you can increase your pricing, as I said, and take some extra money away. And customers also, they don't really see that as a cost to them if you're purely taking a, a kind of percentage of the pricing uh, of what they're charging, I should say. So I expect that's what we'll continue to see in the next year. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw some some acquisitions in that space um, as well. Um, and... After that, to be honest, there's there's all this talk of AMP email, so the tech um, that provide that um, kind of Gmail have this whole AMP technology that you've probably seen on web pages. That's obviously coming to to email as well. As far as I'm aware, there are no email marketing providers that support that really really well. But there's actually some quite cool stuff you can do um, with it, um, and I expect that. That will probably be coming in 18 months to two years that every email marketing provider will offer, will offer that. And that will allow people to pretty much shop from their email inbox, um, submit forms from their email inbox and everything else like that. I don't think it's quite reached kind of adoption levels right now because Google makes you um, have to opt in as a sender. So each, uh, if you came to email octopus as a, as a marketer, you would then have to opt in with Google into this um, kind of service. It doesn't cost anything, but I think they, they vet it quite heavily to avoid spam. But I imagine that beta, um, whatever they call it, will be relaxed in the coming years as well. And I expect that that in the next 18 months to two years will be a massive, massive area of interest for, for all email marketing providers. So it's like kind of a conjunction between uh, landing pages or e-commerce sites, like emerging between yeah. that. And- yeah, I'll expect we'll see that in the next, I think we'll continue to see that in the next year, that there'll be a merging of, of e-commerce site builders and email marketing platforms. I, I, I really expect to see that continuing to happen. All right. Thank you cool. so much. Yeah, that's, no, that's really interesting development. Um, Campfi, I think you've got a question for Tom. Hey, Tom. How are you? Uh, this might be a hard question. Uh, what's the thing at Email Octopus that you've struggled with the most? Um, probably two-pronged, like 
one is probably what's the thing you've struggled with the most and actually overcome and mm. what's something you've struggled with and not been able to overcome. Yeah. So I know the one that, the one that keeps me up at night and has always kept me up at night, um, you know, as a business, we've been fine. Um, SAS is very, very predictable. We've continued to grow. So that hasn't really kept me up at night. It hasn't been that much of a stress. The one thing that has kept me up at night is, is the kind of people that use the platform. Um, I know Spotify have kind of got themselves into this with, with the whole Joe Rogan podcasts. And I know he, everyone has their own opinions on, on what's right and what's wrong there. And we, we kind of have it as well as an email marketing provider. We are self-service. Anyone from anywhere can come on and send emails out to their subscriber list. And we, as a result, we've had people from all avenues and across the whole political spectrum, um, pro-vax, anti-vax, all that kind of stuff. And it's really, really hard as as someone running the business who has their own opinions um, to kind of, I want to be impartial. I I think it's important people have the right to, to free speech, but at the same time, I don't want us to be involved in anything that's dangerous or harmful. And and this came to a head last year um, with the whole um, capital building insurgents and stuff like that. Um, And originally we kind of were quite hands off, I suppose, with our enforcing of of censorship or whatever you want to call it. Um, And then capital building insurgents happened. uh, A number of, uh, there's a, there's a great group of people on, on Twitter who kind of are aware of the tech products and, adver- and advertising platforms that that these uh, that the people who organized that march were using. We kind of got caught up in that a little bit as well. Got a bit of flame on, on Twitter, which I think you have to accept you're always going to get as a, as a business uh, eventually. And yeah, that kind of made us have to make some tough decisions uh, about what, what do we want to accept on the, on the platform. Um, so we kind of made a stand against anything that can be construed as hate, hate speech, which we kind of, we had originally, but like we kind of lowered the bar a little bit, I suppose. And secondly, um, around misinformation and that's a real, real tough one because we then have to be making decisions every day. I suppose when people sign up, is this misinformation? Is it dangerous? Um, but essentially I think. I think we have a responsibility. Uh, we're a platform that allows people to send out emails to the 2 million people. And I think we've all seen how dangerous some opinions have been. Uh, as I said, I think that comes across the whole broad political spectrum. Um, and and we've, we have to take that responsibility. And I certainly don't shy away from that responsibility, but it, it does keep me up at night, um, whether we've got this right or wrong and, and how history will, will look back at us. So I think that's something that I, that we've not solved. We've we've solved to the best of our ability, but it's it's impossible to solve it perfectly. You only have to look at Spotify and Facebook, uh, companies who are much larger, much more successful than us, and can literally throw a whole team of analysts at it, and they still haven't solved it. So I think does it, that mean that you've uh, fired clients or the customers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Yeah. So we've we've got rid of we've got rid of clients. Um, we have to turn them down again. Tough, tough when you're a bootstrap business fighting to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're a bit bit more established now. Uh, we've got, we can afford to do so. But uh, yeah, we've we've fired clients. We've rejected people. Um, everyone who signs up to Email Octopus goes through a, an approval process of sorts. That's primarily to to weed out spammers rather than 
people who might support a certain political figure um, or figures. Um, but at the same time, we do, as part of that moderation process, try and try and weed out anything that is clearly misinformation or, or quite dangerous. But yeah, that that keeps us up. As I said, we haven't solved it. We've got we're a small team, and mm-hmm. um, as I said, if Spotify and Facebook can't solve it, uh, what what do we have? And unfortunately, with the whole political spectrum getting even more polarized, I, I don't think that's going to end anytime soon. Um, I think it's a good sign if you're a part of uh, massive um, communications. You're, you said you had you you reached two million people through email octopus well, yeah so so the largest awesome. list list on email octopus is two million people and as i said we i oh. think we have a responsibility um as a platform to ensure that we are uh that people aren't using us to send out outright dangerous <laughs> things so yeah I don't, I don't shy away from that responsibility but it does it does certainly keep us up at night so that's that's been the biggest challenge i think um because there's outside pressures inside pressures and, and internal struggles that you fight in your head about what's right and what's wrong in this world um, without getting too deep. But, but yeah, that, that keeps us up. Um, but as, I think things that we have overcome as, as an email marketing platform is we have kind of overcome the issue of spam. I think that was, a, was an ongoing battle um, in the early days, particularly as a cheap email marketing platform. And, and we've, pretty much overcome those issues our kind of server ips and deliver deliverability i, I think are excellent um particularly if you're a good sender yourself and we've overcome that uh, and i'm really really proud of the team for doing doing so on that that means we've had to implement various process processes we've had to fire people um at fire clients um turn down money on a regular basis but I, you know, I'm proud of what we've done there, and I think it's made the business stronger as a result. Um, yeah, the ongoing one that we haven't yet solved is is less clear cut. You know, spam is pretty clear if if, if it's legal or not, right? Um, if someone hasn't requested out those emails, then it's spam. But when it's purely about what the content is, it's a lot more difficult, and we, we're still yet to solve that perfectly. But we're doing the best we can, and we mm-hmm. just take full responsibility for doing so. Nice. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for those questions. Uh, I think uh, Kareem's got a question. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for coming uh, here, Tom, today and, and answering our our, our questions. Um, one thing I was wondering about is that um, listening to the Indie Hackers interview uh, that took place in 2018 made me realize how long email octopus has actually been around, right? And mm. through ups and downs, changes in the in the market, channels that growth channels at work and then they dry out. Um, and one thing I was wondering about is, um, is what's the secret to your longevity? Can you point it to like one or two specific things or it's uh, a mix of of, of, of things that happened in your journey. Yeah. So yeah, email octopus, the domain for email octopus was bought in 2014. So that was when the first idea first came about. So from, from then to now, obviously it's eight years. Um, and we first launched pricing um, paid plans in, in 2015. So we've been charging for the product for, for seven years now. The secret to that longevity, I think was kind of, we've got, um, Jonathan, who's the CEO, CEO uh, and myself, um, and then Gareth, who's Jonathan's brother, who um, in the early days um, 
worked very, very closely with Jonathan before I came on board um, after I came on board about a year in. Um, and I think having someone that is there to kind of keep you going and pushing on when you, you have those periods of low motivation is probably the, the main secret for us. Uh, I think it's very, very easy if you haven't got that internal self-motivation that Elon Musk might have to kind of go want to go back to your, your day job um, and not answer support tickets at 11 o'clock at night um, when you've got other things you want to be doing, which is what it was in the early days. So I think having someone else there that holds you accountable and is supportive and can take some of that load off your shoulders, and sometimes that's just a loved one, right? Um, a partner or something like that, that you can can kind of act as a sounding board when you've got those periods of self-doubt. Um, so that's, that has been what has kept us going. And I think, you know, the hardest thing when you're starting a bootstrap business is getting to that point where you can give your job up, um, which for us was when we got to, to 10,000, um, us dollars MRR. And I think, you know, there were, there were periods of self-doubt back then, um, for all of us about what this could be. So stick it, having each other, I think to lean on, um, and say, yeah, this is going to be a thing and exhibiting that slow but consistent month-on-month month growth was really, really important and, and has kept us going for those years. I think once the, the business has reached 10K MRR and it replaces your day, uh, replaces your day job and you, you wake up in the morning and you're working on your own product, it becomes a lot easier then. And the benefit of SaaS over any other business model is that if you do have a month where you're just feeling a bit off it, your business still exists. You don't have to be up every day selling. Um, you can take a couple of weeks off um, and, and run the business on its minimum kind of level, which is answering your questions from your customers and your business will still exist. And by all accounts, it will probably be the same size as it, what it was when you stopped working on it. So toughest, toughest part is getting to that kind of critical level where you can survive on it. And once you're there, it, it becomes, in my opinion, uh, a lot easier uh, mentally, I suppose, that you know you actually have something here, and it will it will only grow um, or it or continue to exist from there onwards. So yeah, I think that's where where we are with that. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Kareem. Um, I was going to ask another question, which is, I think I first heard about Email Octopus from like Harry Dry using it, yeah. and he's like obviously like runs the marketing examples website in a indie hacker. In, from London and like recently you guys nicely sponsored my Grow Your Newsletter course which yep. I have available on growyournewsletter.com and nice little plug there and um, I was just wondering do you have any tips for like SaaS companies working you know with indie hacker quote-unquote influencers and things like that? Yeah, so Harry came about through the meetup, the, the Indie Hackers London meetup, and he happened to live a five-minute walk away from me, and, and uh, I think we'd been in the pub, had a couple of pints, and we actually walked home uh, together, and we, we kind of stayed in touch. Um, at the time, he wasn't working on marketing examples. He was um, kind of just floating around doing what Harry does. Mm. <laughs> doing marketing I think, and, I think and, he was and, making a... Sorry, he was making a Kanye West dating website at one point. Yeah, that was it. I think it, I think he'd done a talk maybe about that website and about how he'd 
wanted to get in touch with Kanye. He's, he's got it on the, the Kanye story. Mm. So yeah, we just stayed in touch. And as a result, when he came up with the idea of marketing examples, um, we're both big fans of football and he pitched it to me uh, as I think it was Sir Alex Ferguson taking a punt on a young Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> um, and at the time, uh, I hope Harry doesn't mind me telling it, but like the, he, he pitched it to us as like he wanted £700 a month. And we we're like, well, you know what? You know, it, it's not a huge amount, and yeah. it might help someone else who is, you know, where we were seven years ago. It might help them get started out. Um, and I think it did. You know, uh, he's now where he is. He's a superstar marketer uh, and thousands and thousands of followers. And you know, glad that we could help him get to that journey. Um, and likewise with yourself, uh, Pete. Like we, we like supporting kind of people that perhaps we see a little bit of ourselves in um, and and the underdog, I suppose. I, I think it's very, very easy for us to spend tens of thousands of pounds on Google Ads and you kind of just don't even think about it, right? You, your Google Ads is ticking up and before you know it, uh, in a month, you've spent you know, 20, 30 grand. And there are so many indie people out there um, both in the indie hackers community and, and other communities as well, as I said, like the self-published authors and, and there's, there's hundreds of creators out there building cool things. So for us, we we kind of set aside about five k a month for for what we call bets, right? Let's just take a take a punt on on someone or something, and and that's really really nice for us when it's a user of the product because they usually your massive supporters for you anyway they'd probably talk about you for free um which i think pete and have in the past you have as well so and harry had done so as well um and harry even now he's not paying for he, he's he, we don't sponsor him anymore because i think he got a much better deal from hrefs um he still talks about us occasionally so it's, it's just nice to to support people who support you i suppose and it's about building those personal relationships um in groups like this that you've got um, on indie hackers and, and even nicer is in person. So yeah, my advice is, is, is just build relationships with people. And that doesn't mean going out with, with the view necessarily of creating those relationships. It's just literally speaking with people who, who maybe were where you were seven years ago um, and, and supporting them. I've, I do um, a bunch of kind of mentoring calls, I suppose you might call them. But I open up my diary for two hours a week um, for anyone to book time. Um, yeah, it's on the website, actually. Anyway, email up to us website. If you go to the About Us page, anyone can book an hour with me on, on Calendly. And that is specifically just to kind of support them on their business journey, whether that's being that listening ear that they need to say, keep going, or to give some advice on positioning based on what I know um, or what I think has worked for us. And that's all it's about. It's kind of like giving back because you know we we were supported so heavily by friends in our early days, not financially uh, at all. And you know we are very much bootstrapped, but we were supported by by people who like Johnny and Ticket Taylor, uh, a friend called Abs who runs Payhip. They were businesses who were probably a year ahead of us um, in revenue and and how they were established, and we just got such a leg up from them, whether it was giving them giving us advice on which accountant to use or the, the kind of less uh, tangible advice of, of how you position your business and, and what's worked for them. So yeah, 
build build those relationships. And I said, I think that's kind of why you've got these groups, uh, Pete. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I didn't realize you'd uh, you were doing that mentoring. Otherwise, I would have hit you up two years ago. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it hasn't actually. Been, I haven't published it hugely in the last uh, year or so. But yeah, it's it's on the email octopus about pay, about us page, and it's it's basically linked to my Calendly, and it's specifically for that. I think I've I've set the limit of of maybe two hours a week. I did two last week. I think I had yeah. a dry spell of not doing one for about two or three months. But yeah, yeah. that's it. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I've done, I mean, I've reached out to quite a lot of people over the last couple of years and had, yeah, it's always amazing how generous like founders can be with their time and get like, sometimes I'll go on a mentoring call with someone, you know, it's not like an official mentoring call, but yeah. people will just like, you know, drop, you know, tons and tons of like really super valuable advice. And these can be yeah. people that run com- companies that are making millions and they're just like, oh yeah, I can talk to you for half an hour. And it's just like, yeah, it's really awesome. So it's- Yeah, it's the, really the guys awesome. at Vida are the same as well. Like, yeah, yeah. They've, they, they've vastly overtaken us. Uh, yeah, by far they're, they're building an incredible business. But the one thing, I think you said you're in Lisbon with them. They are incredibly generous with their time. Mm. A lot of these, a lot of the indie founders are, um, whether that's giving advice on Twitter to everyone or, or doing it on one-to-one basis. So yeah, take advantage of that um, and build those relationships, particularly as you're, you're starting out early. Um, yeah, there are loads and loads of people that will give you a leg up because we were all there five or six years ago. Yeah, nice one. Well, uh, yeah, needless to say, people should check out emailoctopus.com. Um, where can people like uh, find out about you on Twitter and stuff like that? Uh, yeah, my Twitter's at TD underscore Evans. Um, however, I barely ever tweet. <laughs> I just, okay. I've only got, uh, do, fo- do follow me and I might tweet something interesting once a year. But um, yeah, I'm not a massive tweeter or social media person. Um, cool. Well, he, he you probably got a lot more time to run your business. So it's probably like <laughs> good. Uh, yeah, I need to scale back on Twitter because it's like the amount of time I spent on that. It's just like, yeah 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 it's, it's i mean it, it's for some people it works it like, for some people it, it's been what's grown their business they've grown their audience on twitter and as a result they've grown a business um for me it, it's not how we approached it um but it's not said it's, it, it's valuable for some people particularly if you're in in kind of like the course space or, or giving advice as a kind of your job yeah. or as uh, you know we're in a marketing platform and uh yeah, I think there's probably less value for me constantly tweeting about email marketing. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on High Signal to answer all our questions. We meet twice a week, and it's a great way for founders to talk to each other, unwind, get help from other founders in the same position as them. And yeah, you can check out more on highsignal.io. But yeah, thanks again, Tom, and have a great rest of the day. Yeah, no worries. Cool. Uh, I'm going to head off now. But yeah, drop me an email, anyone, on uh, tom at emailoctopus.com if you have any questions that you didn't get to, to ask today, and I'll do my best to answer them. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Thanks. All right. Cheers. Cheers. Okay. I really hope that you enjoyed the AMA with Tom. Basically, we meet as High Signal twice a week, having Zoom chats with other founders that are making revenue. And you can find out loads more information at highsignal.io. We also have a Telegram group, which is active throughout the week, 
and it's a great way to ask specific questions and get help from a range of experts, from SaaS owners to bloggers and to YouTubers and more. And also, if you want to catch up on the latest indie startup news, we have a newsletter which is sent out every Friday. It's packed with kind of stories that TechCrunch won't cover, but are really interesting for indie hackers. And every week I send out five news stories, one funny tweet, and one podcast episode you should listen to. So check out highsignal.io for more.